Book One, Chapter Two, Sections Three and Four of In the Days of the Comet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Lewis. Section Three. I recall with a vivid precision her queer start when she heard the rustle of my approaching feet, her surprise, her eyes almost of dismay for me. I could recollect, I believe, every significant word she spoke during our meeting, and most of what I said to her. At least it seems I could, though indeed I may deceive myself. But I will not make the attempt. We were both too ill-educated to speak out our full meanings. We stamped out our feelings with clumsy, stereotyped phrases. You who are better taught would fail to catch our intention. The effect would be inanity. But our first words I may give you, because though they conveyed nothing to me at the time, afterwards they meant much. You, Willie, she said, I have come, I said, forgetting in the instant all the elaborate things I had intended to say. I thought I would surprise you. Surprise me? Yes. She stared at me for a moment. I can see her pretty face now as it looked at me, her impenetrable dear face. She laughed a queer little laugh, and her color went for a moment. And then, so soon as she had spoken, came back again. "'Surprise me at what?' she said with a rising note. "'I was too intent to explain myself to think of what might lie in that. "'I wanted to tell you,' I said, "'that I didn't mean quite the things I put in my letter.'" Section 4 When I and Nettie had been sixteen, we had been just of an age and contemporaries altogether. Now we were a year and three-quarters older, and she, her metamorphosis was almost complete, and I was still only at the beginning of a man's long adolescence. In an instant she grasped the situation. The hidden motives of her quick-ripened little mind flashed out their intuitive scheme of action. She treated me with that neat perfection of understanding a young woman has for a boy. But how did you come, she asked. I told her I had walked. Walked? In an instant, she was leading me towards the gardens. I must be tired. I must come home with her at once and sit down. Indeed, it was near tea time. The Stuarts had tea at that old-fashioned hour of five. Everyone would be so surprised to see me. Fancy walking, fancy. But she supposed a man thought nothing of seventeen miles. When could I have started? All the while, keeping me at a distance, without even the touch of her hand. But, Nettie, I came over to talk to you. My dear boy, tea first, if you please. And besides, aren't we talking? The dear boy was a new note that sounded oddly to me. She quickened her pace a little. I wanted to explain, I began. Whatever I wanted to explain, I had no chance to do so. I said a few discrepant things, and she answered rather by her intonation than her words. 
when we were well past the shrubbery she slackened a little in her urgency and so we came along the slope under the beeches to the garden she kept her bright straightforward-looking girlish eyes on me as we went it seemed she did so all the time but now i know better than i did then that every now and then she glanced over me and behind me towards the shrubbery and all the while behind her quick breathless inconsecutive talk she was thinking her dress marked the end of her transition can i recall it not i am afraid in the terms a woman would use but her bright brown hair which had once flowed down her back in a jolly pigtail tied with a bit of scarlet ribbon was now caught up into an intricacy of pretty curves above her little ear and cheek and the soft long lines of her neck her white dress had descended to her feet her slender waist which had once been a mere geographical expression an imaginary line like the equator was now a thing of flexible beauty a year ago she had been a pretty girl's face sticking out from a little unimportant frock that was carried upon an extremely active and efficient pair of brown stocking legs now there was coming a strange new body that flowed beneath her clothes with a sensuous insistence every movement and particularly the novel droop of her hand and arm to the unaccustomed skirts she gathered about her and a graceful forward inclination that had come to her called softly to my eyes a very fine scarf i suppose you would call it a scarf of green gossamer that some new wakened instinct had told her to fling about her shoulders clung now closely to the young undulations of her body and now streamed fluttering out for a moment in a breath of wind and like some shy independent tentacle with a secret to impart came into momentary contact with my arm she caught it back and reproved it we went through the green gate and the high garden wall i held it open for her to pass through for this was one of my restricted stock of stiff politenesses and then for a second she was near touching me so we came to the trim array of flower beds near the head gardener's cottage and the vistas of glass on our left we walked between the box edgings and beds of begonias and into the shadow of a yew hedge within twenty yards of that very pond with the goldfish at whose brim we had plighted our vows and so we came to the wisteria smothered porch the door was wide open and she walked in before me guess who's come to see us she cried her father answered indistinctly from the parlor and a chair creaked i judged he was disturbed in his nap mother she called in her clear young voice puss puss was her sister she told them in a marveling key that i had walked all the way from clayton and they gathered about me and echoed her notes of surprise you better sit down willie said her father now you have got here how's your mother he looked at me curiously as he spoke he was dressed in his sunday clothes a sort of brownish tweeds but the waistcoat was unbuttoned for greater comfort in his slumbers 
he was a brown-eyed ruddy man and i still have now in my mind the bright effect of the red golden hairs that started out from his cheek to flow down into his beard he was short but strongly built and his beard and mustache were the biggest things about him she had taken all the possibilities of beauty he possessed his clear skin his bright hazel-brown eyes and witted them to a certain quickness she got from her mother her mother i remember as a sharp-eyed woman of great activity she seems to me now to have been perpetually bringing in or taking out meals or doing some such service and to me for my mother's sake and my own she was always welcoming and kind puss was a youngster of fourteen perhaps of whom a hard bright stare and a pale skin like her mother's are the chief traces on my memory all these people were very kind to me and among them there was a common recognition sometimes very agreeably finding expression that i was clever they all stood about me as if they were a little at a loss sit down said her father give him a chair puss we talked a little stiffly they were evidently surprised by my sudden apparition dusty fatigued and white-faced but nettie did not remain to keep the conversation going there she cried suddenly as if she were vexed i declare and she darted out of the room lord what a girl it is said mr stuart i don't know what's come to her it was half an hour before nettie came back it seemed a long time to me and yet she had been running for when she came in again she was out of breath in the meantime i had thrown out casually that i had given up my place at rawdon's i can do better than that i said i left my book in the dell she said panting is tea ready and that was her apology we didn't shake down into comfort even with the coming of the tea things tea at the gardener's cottage was a serious meal with a big cake and little cakes and preserves and fruit a fine spread upon a table you must imagine me sullen awkward and preoccupied perplexed by the something that was inexplicably unexpected in nettie saying little and glowering across the cake at her and all the eloquence i had been concentrating on for the previous twenty-four hours miserably lost somewhere in the back of my mind nettie's father tried to set me talking he had a liking for my gift of ready speech for his own ideas came with difficulty and it pleased and astonished him to hear me pouring out my views indeed over there i was i think even more talkative than with parload though to the world at large i was a shy young lout you ought to write it out for the newspaper he used to say that's what you ought to do i never heard such nonsense or you've got the gift of gab young man we ought had made a lawyer of you but that afternoon even in his eyes i didn't shine failing any other stimulus he reverted to my search for a situation but even that did not engage me end of book one chapter two sections three and four